Today on Ag News Daily. When people think of Canada, they probably think of like the tundra snow all the time, right? But yeah, we're just two hours east of Detroit. So yeah, it gets super hot up here. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, a Farmer Friday edition nonetheless, Tanner. Yeah, ad-free, straight to the point, only headlines, Friday, Ag News Daily Edition. You know what? I'm fired up, Delaney. I just got done listening to Steve Sukup give the Ames Chambers manufacturing update for the industry. That was that was fun to uh, listen to a leader in the agricultural world give his perspective on where things are at. And what did he share, Tanner? Uh, things are catching back up. The delays in uh, what you had seen, you know, are much less. So their lead time on steel is good. The electronics was the biggest headache that they had had during the height of, of COVID and uh, rolling out of that. He's happy to see that they have more candidates to fill open positions. So labor is starting to availability is starting to bounce back. Um, ultimately, had a lot of positive things to say. They're, they're expanding because agriculture itself is expanding. So there's a lot of good news this morning. Well, Cargill certainly seems like they are taking advantage of those same factors there that you mentioned, Tanner, because they had a record profit in 2022, whopping $7 billion that they have made throughout the year. And they're saying there's a lot of simple reasons behind that, but they reported a net profit actually just shy of $7 billion at $6.68 billion for the fiscal year that ended in May, which is the most it earned annually in its 157-year history, Tanner. That's a 35% increase from their previous fiscal year. And they said it's just simply to supply chain chaos sparked by COVID-19, followed by the Russian invasion. They were just in the right place at the right time. Wow. Yeah, that uh, that does sound like being in the right place at the right time. I wanted to venture down to Missouri, our friend and, and neighbor to the south. The Earlier this week, their governor, Mike Parson, signed into legislation that would include incentives to boost biodiesel and ethanol sales. Their House Bill 3 creates a two cents per gallon retail incentive for diesel blends containing between five and 10% biodiesel. Blends that contain between 11 and 20% receive five cents per gallon as far as a retail incentive. The bill also establishes a two cents per gallon incentive for biodiesel produced within the state. So when you stack those, Delaney, there's a lot of incentive to uh, use that word over and over again, for those pumps and retailers to use biodiesel. Of course, they're hoping to continue to support the industry that creates good paying jobs. They're also looking for incentives at five cents per gallon on the fuel side with ethanol blends like E15 that contains 15% ethanol. And we'll include that as they continue to push forward. All these incentives, though, Delaney, expire in 2028. So this is just a short window, but hopefully the beginning to uh, an industry-wide, as far as states go, movement to incentivize those using biofuels. Well, interesting news there, Tanner. And I want to switch tracks here just a little bit. You know, we continue to talk about South Americans, soy or, uh, South Americans, yeah, soybean harvest that just kind of wrapped up here. But uh, the state of Monte Grosso has moved one step closer to assuming control of a huge infrastructure project 
called BR-163, which they're also nicknaming it as the Soybean Highway. Tanner, have you heard anything about this? I have not, but that sounds intriguing. It is, because this highway that's in the making right now is set to be the most important highway in Brazil as far as agriculture is concerned. It's going to run north to south across the entire state of Mato Grosso, which I believe is the largest state within the country of Brazil. And of course, Mato Grosso is also the largest soybean producer. And as we look at global competition, a lot of times, Tanner, the reason that Brazil isn't always as able to compete on a global scale is simply due to some of the lack of infrastructure that they have with trucking abilities, roadways, ports, etc. But this BR-163 is supposed to really revolutionize the way that these farmers are able to get soybeans out of the state and is going to be used to transport grain to the northernmost ports on the Amazon River and rail terminals that connect to the port of Santos. So Monte Grosso has agreed to take over the construction project from a private company and has invested about $230 million to finish out this project, which is really kind of the remaining hurdle here was just to negotiate with companies and uh, figure out the debt aspect of this large construction project. Don't necessarily have a concrete timeline as to how quickly this thing will be up and running, but certainly something to keep an eye on because it really could change the way that Brazil is able to move grain. Right, get their grain to market. That's always been their challenge is they can produce the crop. Obviously, we we know that it's uh, considered inferior to the quality that the U.S. produces, but they also, you know, like I said, challenge, you have challenges getting it to port. So it'll be interesting to see that project take place when uh, we have just off the coast right now of South America to the northern side, Tropical Depression 13, which is expected to strengthen into Tropical Storm Julia on Friday. So later today, the, hurric- the potential hurricane uh, could become that of it this weekend as it crosses the Caribbean Sea and takes aims at Central America. There could be potential island floods and other coastal issues. Once this system reaches the 39 mile per hour threshold, like we've talked about, it becomes Tropical Storm Julia, making it the 10th tropical storm in the Atlantic Basin this season. It will then potentially move into a hurricane if it gets above that 74 mile per hour range. Of course, the National Hurricane Center is monitoring this and they expect it to possibly gain strength by the end of the day, Saturday, early into Sunday morning. That is not good news because the future hurricane is headed for Central America, though positive for us in the U.S. domain. It looks like right now, if the path stays the way it is, it is not expected to make its way to the U.S. or the Gulf Coast and will stick and probably die out as it goes over the rough terrain of Nicaragua, Honduras, and Guatemala. But still another one of those for us to watch as uh, some of the ag products are very dependent upon Central America as well. Yeah, and and as we still continue to kind of assess the damage done by Hurricane Ian, Tanner, there are still over 135,000 homes and businesses without power, which is eight days now after Hurricane Ian, of course, hit landfall. U.S. President Biden and Governor DeSantis 
of course, declared those areas a national disaster and are working to try and help those folks get power back up and running. But as they begin to assess specifically agricultural damage, Tanner, of course, citrus is the big one that comes to mind here. And citrus has already kind of been falling production wise by more than a third since 2017. And they said this hurricane definitely has the capacity to continue to uh, potentially set up some citrus growers for bankruptcy and also just um, deciding that they're not going to try and rebuild, you know, after, I guess that's one of the risks they deal with down there and are probably a little bit more used to it than we think, but uh, definitely could see some citrus production that does not go back up online simply because of the cost and time associated with getting those groves back up and running, Tanner. Yeah, we've had a couple of conversations from the farm for profit side with growers in that area. Not not amounting to a full episode, but just staying in contact with listeners. And uh, yeah, some are very fortunate. You know, they had minor damage, but those that were directly in the path, uh, especially with those, I call them expensive crops that take years to establish, uh, even get into, like you said, a lot of the citrus and fruit. Um, but even then, it just takes so much time and effort to get things moved back into full production. But I tell you what is going to move into production in the state of Ohio is Monarch Tractor's electric drive machine. So this is a tractor brand that is creating a fully electric autonomous tractor that will feature 10 hours of runtime and will have a 70 horsepower peak and twice the torque of a comparable conventional tractor. So even though it's got a 70 horsepower motor, uh, will have be able to do the equivalence of a 140 horsepower tractor. The formal, former General Motors factory in Lordstown, Ohio, is now operated by Hong Hai Technology Group, also known as Foxconn, and will be producing the MKV models of the Monarch tractor. The MKV models will be widely used in California wineries and Florida citrus groves. The fully electronic autonomous tractor features that 10 hour runtime, which right now is the longest of its competition. It'll be interesting to see here as it marks potential fuel savings for farmers, improved health and safety as far as the autonomy goes and has high performance in a small package. So kind of interesting, Delaney, as we look at that, what kind of maintenance is coming down the pipeline, the serviceability and supply chain issues that they're gonna run into. But uh, good to know that that Ohio plant will be reused for the Monarch tractors. Well, Tanner, I have, I think, just a couple of final pieces here to news today, one of which is continue looking, uh, continue looking here at drought as it continues to intensify across lots of crop areas. It's uh, interesting, but nationally, Tanner, there's about 321.6 million acres of crops right now experiencing drought, just shy of 32 million beef cattle in the country are experiencing drought and nearly 650 counties have drought declarations in place. Um, definitely by far, some of the worst states are Texas, Kansas, and Nebraska, although it's really starting to creep in to quite a few other states surrounding those areas as well, Tanner. Yeah, I saw a lot of headlines around the La Nina weather, weather pattern enhancing droughts. And we've talked about the Nebraska wildfires and, and how that they can you know, it's hard to combat when all of the kindling around it is so dry. Of course, we know what that's done to the wheat crop as we've seen our wheat 
uh, wheat product production areas slashing their yields. But uh, last piece I have is just to remind listeners, if you're in the upper Midwest, North Dakota, South Dakota, Missouri, uh, Michigan, Iowa, Minnesota, you are looking at a continued freeze warning. A lot of us are already in that freeze warning, but looking at overnight, potential temperatures could fall as low as 22 degrees, which really brings that taste of winter and certainly the end of fall. Uh, but nonetheless, looks like forecasts are good into next week, bringing temperatures back up to normal fall area, fall temperatures in this area, and a potential forecast for the southern plains to get some rain, uh, obviously potentially stemming out from the hurricane that hit uh, southern California and Mexico area pushing some pressure through the systems and maybe Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas will get some much needed rain. But that's what I have today on our Friday edition news. What do the markets look like? Absolutely, Tanner. Well, markets today, uh, as I'm getting dig- dug into that here, I wanted to also just make a quick mention because I know Tanner on your podcast, Farm for Profit, you guys obviously have access to some of the best when it comes to land value prices there with Dave. But the DTN Land Watch report has also been noting that recently we've continued to see some record high crop land sales lately. And especially in the Midwestern states, um, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, and Kansas, we've continued to see some record crop ground closing close to $20,000 per acre mark here. So certainly, you know, as we continue to watch farmland values, Tanner, it's too soon to tell, but we may not be seeing an end in sight to these prices anytime soon when there for a while we thought maybe we were on the verge of seeing something come back down. It doesn't appear to be the case. But yeah, there's uh, been there's been a lot of internal discussions, uh, like I said, amongst us podcast hosts and in the professional area, you know, the, the investor money that comes into land determining what is an investor. Could it just be a retired farmer or could it be someone outside of the active role of farming, you know, typically have looked for that two to 3% return on their investment as deposit rates within financial institutions and investment firms climb now to where you can get money market rates and short-term CDs now that pay three to 4% return on your money. What does that drive as far as investability into ag land? So it'll be interesting to monitor that. You know, I'm not saying that we've peaked, we've got a sale here Mm -hmm. locally, this afternoon, but uh, it'll continue to be a fun market for us to monitor. It certainly will, Tanner. But as we take a look at the markets today, definitely more fun today than it was yesterday as uh, grains across the board are trading higher here this morning just after the open. December new crop corn up four and a half cents at 680. New crop soybeans up a penny and a quarter right at that 1359 mark. And December Chicago wheat today up nine cents on the board at 888. In the livestock markets, Tanner, here in the mid morning markets, we're seeing the October live cattle contract, excuse me, the December live cattle contract up about 25 pennies on the day at 148.12. The uh, November feeders are actually down a quarter today at 176.17. And December lean hogs down 45 cents at 77. 32 and a half. And Tanner, today is a Farmer Friday interview day. And we're going to kick things up north to our good friend, Andy Pastor. So let's turn it over to that conversation. 
Hey listeners, this is fun. Another personal friend of mine. It's good to cross over guests and bring them to the Ag News Daily Podcast. We have Andy Pastor here, Canadian. We haven't had a Canadian on the podcast for a while. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, Ag News Daily has no borders, right, Delaney? We could go north and catch up with Andy. Andy, why don't you introduce yourself to listeners who don't know, where do you farm, what do you farm, and who is Andy Pastor? Yeah, so basically, yeah, I farm over here in southwestern Ontario. We're about two hours east of Detroit. I farm with my brother and my dad, and then also me and my brother do a little bit on our own. And yeah, so we grow on our farm. We grow corn and beans, and then do some custom work with that. And then we also, my brother's a pioneer dealer, and then we also grow cucumbers and peppers, jalapeno peppers and some hot peppers. So yeah. Which I think is kind of unique because when you think about those types of vegetables, I imagine that they typically grew in warmer climates, but you're up there in Canada and obviously that is not the case, Andy. No. Well, the funny thing is, is when people think of Canada, they probably think of, oh, like the tundra, snow all the time, right? But yeah, we're just two hours east of Detroit. So yeah, it gets super hot up here and yeah, it's no different than out in the Midwest or anything like that. And yeah, our soil type right in our county is perfect. Like we can grow anything, like you name it. We got asparagus growing up here. We got watermelons, sweet corn, basically any kind of vegetable you can imagine right in our county is grown. I think we're number one in Canada for most vegetables produced. So yeah. And then it's the listeners. I don't know if the listeners caught that, Andy, but you said straight east of Detroit. So when you think, when I think of Canada, I don't think of Canada being east of anywhere in the United States. Exactly. Like we're actually, I went up to Grand Forks, North Dakota in March, and that was the farthest north I've ever been in my life. So, (laughs) So, yeah. like I tell my I'm from Ontario. They're like, oh, wow, you're way up there. I'm like, no, actually, we're pretty far south. So I think the southern tip of Ontario, if you drew a line straight west, would be like northern California. So, so yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, you already said cucumbers and jalapenos. So I assume those crops have already been harvested, right? How did that go? Yeah, actually, we just finished up their last, I think it was last Tuesday. Yeah, we finished up with all our vegetables. Yeah, like the cucumber crop was, well, cucumbers are fairly easy to grow as long as you have water. Basically, anything's easy to grow if you have water. So, so yeah, actually, the, the vegetable crops did really well this year. They actually like it a little on the drier side. Like, I know the peppers do. Cucumbers, well, they're always producing, so you got to keep watering them. But, but yeah, so yeah, the crops, we were pretty happy with them. And uh, we actually did some machine harvest peppers too. So that was actually nice because all the jalapenos and the cucumbers are hand-picked, right? So, so yeah. So Andy, as you guys get ready here to, I guess, I don't know if you've started corn and soybean harvest yet, but I'm sure if not, you're getting ready to, uh, what are you expecting to see this year for yields? Yeah, so far from what I'm hearing, like some guys got going 
some guys have been combining for a couple of weeks now with the early beans and stuff like that. And then there's, there's some edible beans grown and dry beans grown just North of us. So, so yeah, and what I'm hearing is average, you know, it's all hit and miss. It depends where it got rained. It's just like everywhere else, but it's no bumper crop. That's for sure. And like, we were super dry in June in my area, basically from the end of planting all the way up until pollination, we had like no water. We'd get like two tenths here, you know, a tenth here, nothing crazy. So it was super dry and we're on sand. So it doesn't take much for, for the crop to start going backwards. But right before pollination on our farm, in our little area where we are, we got like two and a half inches right before pollination. So there's, there's places, it's up and down, but there's places in the field where I'm taller than the corn and I'm not the world's <laughs> guy. So, so yeah, but yeah, the cobs actually don't look bad on there. So, you know, there's some tip back in there, but they're no monster ones. They're no baseball bats, but at least there's, at least there's an ear there. So that's good. <laughs> well, Andy, you mentioned that your brother was a pioneer dealer when describing your farm, but you left out a key piece of what you like to do for fun and is now turned into a little bit of a side business. So for those who don't know, what is hashtag Andy clean? Where did that start? Yeah, actually that is just, I'm just, I like clean equipment, right? I've always been like that ever since I was a kid I had an Ertle farm set and it had to be perfect, right? My brothers would come and mess it up and I'd freak out, but I've always just been, you know, like when I got my first pickup, I pretty much washed the paint off of it because I just like it that clean, right? So, so yeah, so that just came about from Twitter. I just threw up some pictures in the wintertime because there's not much going on in the farm up here in the wintertime. So that's when I service all the equipment and wash it up and get it ready for the spring. And actually a farmer from Michigan, you guys probably follow him, Robert Reese. He's from Lansing. He's the actual guy who coined the hashtag Andy Clean. So, so that's where that kind of came from. So, yeah. So Andy, you, you, how did you even get started thinking about this becoming a business? Because obviously every farmer deals with dirty equipment, but turning yeah. it into a business is just one step beyond maybe what most would think of. And you know what? That was never like, that was never my intention to turn it into a business or anything. I was just, it was just a fun thing on Twitter, but then John Deere kind of jumped on board and made and designed the Andy clean logos and gave me like a box with a thousand stickers of them. And that was all like a total surprise. I had no idea they were up to that. So, so I just started sending them out. I sent like worldwide today. I'm still sending them out. Right. Whenever, whenever somebody puts up a picture of their combine or something, they go, Hey, I got her Andy clean or how's that look. And uh, so, yeah, I just send them out. So it was costing me a ton of money shipping them out because you know i got the stickers for free i'm not going to charge anybody for the stickers it's just more of a fun thing but then i i kind of got thinking because i had a lot of guys asking me what kind of soap am i using so so i just kind of you know it took me quite a while because this hashtag has been around for quite a while to actually get serious about you know running a business and maybe you know having our own soap so so yeah so actually last year well Last year is when we officially kicked it off, but we've been kind of testing it out before that and everything just, so yeah, we got our, we hooked up with a manufacturer up here. They're making our soap for us. And, and yeah, we're just strictly retailing it through John Deere dealers. Not like 
my farm is half red, right? So, but what John Deere did to get this going, you know, like, I, I got to respect that. And they have no part in it. But, you know, I was just like, let's, let's retail it through John Deere dealers. They helped me out big time. You know, I've had some case dealerships and some class dealerships ask me about it. But I was like, right now, we're just going to stick with John Deere dealers because, you know, they really helped me out big time. And I've got to know a lot of people at John Deere through the Sandy Clean thing. And I really like their culture there. Like until you and I'm sure it's the same at the other other manufacturers, but I just haven't witnessed it. But so, yeah, I just really like the culture and, you know, the people are so nice and what they stand for and everybody just loves working for John Deere. You know what I mean? Like we'll go to a dealership. We'll be like, how do you like working for say landmark implement? They'll be like, it's the best. We love it. And it's the same at every dealership we went and visited, you know, and the people who work for John Deere and the corporate side, they're the same. We went on a gold key tour, even though we never bought a combine, but we, they gave us a gold key tour this March at the uh, harvester works and, yeah, even the people building the combines, they love it. You know what I mean? So that's who we kind of want to align with just because of their core values and, and that. Like you can say what you want about prices and, you know, and parts, but, you know, those people aren't the ones setting the prices. They're, the, they're just the people working. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great, Andy. I mean, that, that's the same thing we say here at Agnews Daily. We just wouldn't want to work anywhere else. You know, Delaney herself is – Got a top-notch podcast here, nope. <laughs> and uh, but I, you know, all jokes aside, now I want to put you on the spot here as we get ready to wrap up. For you, new to starting out a business, I know we've got listeners that are in the same boat. Either they just started one, or they're wanting to start one. What What's the biggest thing you've learned? What's the What's the biggest thing that you've picked up on that our listeners might get value out of? Yeah, there's a few things because like when I got this business going, like I'll be the first one to admit I had no idea what I was doing, right? But I knew I knew it could be something, right? So, but what I did, I aligned myself with some people. They're my cousins actually, who they're the business guys, right? That's what they love doing. So I just said, hey, you know, you guys want to help me out? And they're like, sure, let's get this going. Because, you know, everybody's good at something. It's like how we built it. We, we built it like a team, right? Where you, you got to have players that are good at every position, right? No one guy can do it by himself. And so that's how I, I aligned it. And, and yeah, the main thing is not to be afraid and just try it. Because it caused me a lot of anxiety, you know, what I think of it when we were getting it going, just because we were moving pretty fast and everything. And I didn't truly, you know, I didn't know. I thought to run a business, you need to know everything, but you don't. You just need to know what you know, and you'll learn as you go. That's the one thing you'll learn as you go. I'm learning things every day, you know, and it's just, it's been a blast. And yeah, it's taught me a lot about myself. And, and yeah, and like, our business is kind of different because I'll credit myself with maybe two to 5% of the whole Andy clean business, but it's like the other 95% is just the people who actually built the business. Like everybody from Twitter who just loves cleaning their equipment and everything like that. They gave me the motivation to build this. So, so yeah, when I say Andy clean, I mean it as a whole community 
of everybody who's ever took part in the hashtag and stuff like that, you know? So, so yeah, that's it. Well, Andy, speaking of Twitter, before we let you go, for those of our listeners who are not following you on Twitter yet, how can they find you? Yeah, just it's a pastor 82. That's my handle. Or you could just, you could just look up the hashtag Andy claims and I might come up and yeah, that, that's where you can find me. I'm on, I'm on Instagram too. I started that. Oh gosh. That was last year. Right. Cause I was like, I'm only on Twitter and I didn't realize how many farmers are on other social networks. I thought Twitter was basically the only one, but if you go on Instagram or anything, TikTok, they're all there. Like I tried doing some TikToks and that was just way too time consuming because, you know, that, that wasn't my wheelhouse. So, but yeah, mainly on Twitter, that's where you can find me or Instagram. I think my Twitter or my Instagram name is I am Andy clean. So yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Cause Andy clean was already taken, I think. So, so yeah. Or my name was, so yeah, to come up with something kind of funny. Perfect. Well, Andy, thanks again for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us and have a great harvest guys. You're right, Delaney. Andy is a good friend. It's always fun to stay connected with them and the wide variety of crops that they grow in their area. And uh, it's always fun for perspective when he tells you how far south in Canada their farm is. So it's just like talking to somebody else in the U.S., but not all at the same time. Absolutely. And we're going to have more fun conversations like this with farmers going through harvest and just different events uh, this fall season, Tanner. So be sure to tune in with us every Farmer Friday here for the next couple of weeks. We'll be having some good conversations, but we're also going to be having good conversations online on the Twitter, Facebook, and the Gram. So you can follow us at Ag News Daily, Tanner. And with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.